0: This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. Welcome. Thank you for joining. We're probably at 100 words already. I've been getting some feedback recently. I want to let you know that you are in for way more than 100 words. Just look at the length of these podcasts. It's well over an hour. It's a sarcastic name. It's just one of those things where you you hear that in school. In 100 Words or Less, tell me this. I mean, now it's 140 characters. Just doesn't have the same ring to it. Anyways, the guest this week is Matt Carter, the keyboardist slash guitarist of Emory, as well as one of the proprietors of badchristian.com. I'll give you all the rundown on that in a minute. Let's get some business stuff out of the way. Propertyofzack.com. Go visit them, hang out in their site, become educated about independent music. They got awesome stuff. Just go there, do it. Review the show, pop on the website of the show, 100 words podcast. Dot com email the show at one hundred words at gmail and uh, before we talk about Matt I wanted to, there's been something that's been sticking in my head I want to get it out so I think we've reached a point where the idea of the what I like to call the PMA culture positive mental attitude a lot of people see that out there in the world whether it's like tattoos in their bodies companies that have started up to promote that like it's it's awesome I love the fact that you are being positive. And you, you know, you want that to exist in the world, people being positive. The only thing is, well, there's two thoughts I had on it. One, people that are doing it just as a sort of business thing, I get a little uncomfortable with that. Um, I mean, I I guess you could probably say the same way that, you know, certain companies, uh, you know, make money off of other philosophical ideas, like, you know, whatever, that's fine. I I personally would never start up a vegan clothing company that is just t-shirts, you know? It's just something I never personally have had an interest in. But when it's it's this idea that to be positive all the time, you're not. You cannot be positive all the time. I think there is some inherent value in looking at your emotions and trying to look at them in a positive light but dwell in them exist in negativity exist in depression like you need to fully understand that emotion before you move on from it i think that there and of course a time frame in which to do that is completely arbitrary it's different for each person but i think just this idea that you must move from one thing to another thing to another thing and never slow down and never even exist In this emotion that may be negative, but hopefully once you've gone through it, you'll understand yourself better and you will know how to feel in that moment. So I, cause I think that there's just a lot of it is lost on like, oh, PMA, like that's what you got to do. You got to push through the bad stuff and you lose the focus on the fact that you need to be living in those emotions. You can't just, just solve it with a catchphrase. That's just what I'm saying. I've just seen a lot of it out there and I just want to make sure that people understand that there is inherent, like I said, inherent value in addressing those emotions. Anyways, let's move on. Got to get that negativity out of the way, right? (laughs) The guest in the show is Matt Carter. He is from the band Emery. I got keyed in. I mean, I've known about Emery for a long time just because, as I will share in the interview, I I watched them a long time ago and have enjoyed their records to varying degrees over the years. And they've just kind of existed in the world that I know, which is independent music. It wasn't until I tripped on this site, badchristian.com, run by Matt and one of his other. Bandmates in Emory, as well as uh, just an old friend, uh, it was it kind of blew my mind. It was great to see what sort of dialogue they were having around the Christian faith in general, and just life, like their transparency in who they are as people. And I don't know, there's there's something that's so appealing with the transparency of what people are and what struggles they go through, and it just I immediately dove into their podcast, and what's even. Cooler is that Emory right now is doing a crowdfunding campaign. And of course, who isn't doing a crowdfunding campaign? Like everybody is, but... They're doing it through their own site. They have rewards and everything else that you could possibly want. So go to badchristian.com. You could find out about the podcast, the book, everything those dudes have going on, plus the Emory crowdfunding campaign there. But anyways, that just got my appetite wet for talking to Matt. And going into it, I was, uh, I was actually really excited about this interview. I mean, I'm excited about all the interviews I do, but this one in particular, it was just kind of hitting me at a right time where I was like, man, I can't wait to dig into a bunch of stuff with him. So we talked for a long time. Matt is extremely candid open honest about everything I asked him so uh, here we are without further ado I will talk to you afterwards these fights with your the perfect own. time across the board so anyways good good that's great i usually start these things off with just like my own personal entry point to kind of you know what you were doing or what mm-hmm. you were doing musically and all that sort of stuff so i'm gonna take you back to uh let's see probably 2004-ish i want to say so okay here uh i, I at the time i was uh, doing a lot of freelance music writing uh while also working at a record label called century media records so i think i, I got your record sent to me it was either through the record label or via you know a music review site or whatever the record being the week's end so i listened to it and i honestly i was like i was obsessed with it for a good you know a good you know few months i was like wow this is really and no slight against you this is nothing that's very original but the approach Mm -hmm. that you guys took i was like i don't know this feels like vibrant and alive so i went to see you guys when you played a pizza joint in long beach california called d piazza's i think oh wow yeah I want to say it was it was either just uh, after you guys had released that it was just like a little West Coast run I think you guys were Mm -hmm. doing. It Um, might have been right before we released it. It was before we released it. I think. Oh no, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's right. And it was one of those things where the I mean the venue is terrible, like in and of itself. It's just like a hole in the wall, you know, pizza joint. But watching watching you guys play was one of those things where it was like you know you had to fit six dudes on a stage that was meant to hold four. Yeah. And the, the fact that it was like, you guys, you guys seemed so, I guess, unprepared, like in general, <laughs> but, but the, it was like, because of that and because, you know, the record that I was listening to was, you know, I mean, was honestly pretty polished. It was this, like, I, I just really enjoyed the experience because it was like, you, you could tell you guys were working on being a band, right? There, there was, there was work that was being done. Do you, uh, do you remember that time when you guys were trying to figure out how to be a band and how to represent that record live and stuff like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've been playing
0: music a long time and even doing these songs a while, but it was like uh, figuring out how to sound good. It, it is hard. And so we've been we, we I feel like we've been playing them the songs a long time, but we really did focus at that time uh, on being just aggressive live and having the show Look fun and be engaging. I guess that's what we were focused on, and and so musically, I know that always suffered. And it's weird because now the later and later it goes on, bands wound up being all about the visual and the choreographed and the moves and all the stuff. But at that time when we th- were doing it, it was kind of new to us that you would really be aggressive and move around. And that's really what we were just trying to
1: do to stand out at that time. So musically, I'm sure it's it suffered for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it was. You know, I I, because I I played in bands for years myself. So it's like anytime I, you know, watch a band play, uh, you obviously take all these things into context. Where it's like, well, yeah, you're not playing through a real sound system and all these other things. But like I said, there was something uh, inherently charming about it. Where I was like, oh, cool. Like I, you know, the record sounds perfect because that's how it's supposed to sound. But they're not there yet. But you could not, still not, you, no. you could still hear where it's like no, but they still represented the songs well. So it was one of those things where it just I immediately became endeared to it as opposed to you know because I'm sure you've had that experience where it's like you you get a band's record you listen to it it's like pitch perfect and then you see them live and you're like you're not even ten percent of that. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I mean Ray, I don't know if you've seen a since, but I don't know if we're a ton better than that now. <laughs> to say the truth. <laughs> that's good you're still if you, if you're, you read reading youtube comments you can find people that agree with with that with it just like it was back then 10 percent maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally yeah you, you feel like you're very successful if you uh go higher than 10 percent. yeah you yourself because you you were born and raised on the east coast like in the south carolina area or am i wrong that's
0: right yeah toby and devin and joel and our original drummer seth all are from south carolina small town same
1: town Right. And so tell me about your family structure, like, you know, I mean, mom and dad, brothers and sisters and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I was a, am an uh, older brother and I have a younger sister and Toby also is an older brother. So that's been a big part of our culture is we're kind of dominant people and we pick on younger people like the younger members of our band and, and other bands on tour. We're a little bit older anyway. And so we've just kind of naturally always been that way. But older brother is a good uh, description. That That's a big part piece of my uh, personality, I think.
1: Right, I like I like that you immediately went with that identity in regards to (laughs) the fact that you're just like you know what I I like to pick on people like that's kind of that's 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 how you show your love.
0: Yes, and I think people typically get that in a loving way. Sometimes they don't, but those are the people that don't get along with so well.
1: (laughs) So the first time you try to pull something on them and they react badly, you're like, yeah, if
0: you don't think it's fun to, you know what I mean? If if you can't take yourself not that seriously and get picked on then i'm not probably gonna like you in the long run anyway so i kind of like to feel that out early on in a relationship you know Let's see how this goes. Okay, well, looks like looks like I'm not going to really care about you in a year. Yeah, this is an uptight person, so if they're not going to like me, that's that's good to know that up front. It is very good. you got to test the
1: waters. Do, do you have that sort of uh, you know southern pride that is inherent with uh, a lot of people that are obviously born and raised in that area?
0: Well, you have to be careful what you mean by that. <laughs> I do. I think there's I... <laughs> an extreme of southern pride that would, make, would cast me in a pretty negative light, I'm afraid. But no, I do love the south. Uh, I don't have Confederate flags all over my bedroom currently, or anything like that. But I do love the South. I do love being from there. I think the foods the, is the best in the world in the, in the southeastern South United States, and uh, it's just it's, it's awesome. And I live in Seattle now, and I've been here since two thousand and one. So I just describe it this way: I, I like where I live now, and I this, I enjoy the South a ton. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad to be away from it and miss it. As opposed to just always be stuck there in the rural South, which I love, but I'm glad I don't live there and I love missing it and returning and visiting. So, kind of best of both worlds in that sense.
1: Right, sure. Yeah, you, you, you like the, the broadened perspective that you have, but it's not exactly, you, you don't feel limited because of the area that you're in. But yeah, I mean, as, as you know from traveling and touring around, it's like, you know, there's such an inherent, like, you know, people are proud to be like where I live in Southern California, people are proud to be from there, but it's a whole different level in the South.
0: Yeah, no, I'm very proud of the South. I love it. I think it's great. It's, it's the most one of the most interesting cultures, you know, in in the country, if not the world. You know, because it's like redneck people, and they have a ton of charm, and they're not known for necessarily even being smart or anything else, but they're just charming. They're fun. The, everybody there is entertaining. Everybody there is uh, got a good sense of humor. And when you go to like the Midwest, for instance, that's just not the case. Every, I, I find everybody in the Midwest to be kind of not everybody, but you yeah. know, it's kind of a plain. They're uh, to me, they feel plain, right, and then. And the 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 big cities in the Northeast have a lot of personality, and the West Coast has got its own thing. But the South is where all the personality is, in my opinion. You got a lot of stories down there. <laughs> That's right. That's all we do. We tell stories. We sit on the porch. We hang out.
1: We yeah yeah yeah. Um, and so uh, so what did your parents do for a living as you were uh, growing up? Uh, my dad is was a
0: civil engineer, and then was uh, wound up starting and owning a grading and paving business so like a construction related thing so they would do heavy equipment um, uh, earth moving kind of stuff that's what i was supposed to do he wanted me to take that business over and i ultimately declined
1: that was right. that that was gonna that was gonna be my next question because usually the uh Especially when you you enter the idea of family business, uh, that is usually assumed. Where it's like, okay, well, this is what you're going to do when you grow up. Was that was that always what your dad was obviously trying to groom you to be ready for?
0: Yes, I think so in a way. But at the same time, he that he was very encouraging and open. I think he had it in his mind that maybe my parents were ultra supportive. So I think they maybe even had it in their mind that I would do something even bigger or better than that um, too. Like th- they were open to me being a doctor or something even beyond and, and moving up in the whatever that is but i chose to do more alternative things you know as time went on and so they weren't pressuring of me to take over the business but i did i spent time there i worked there and and learned some about that but ultimately just wasn't wasn't the thing so
1: right right and so uh, then as you uh, you know as you started to you know your formative years as far as like you know high school and all that sort of stuff like when did uh you know when did independent music start to kind of you know peek its head into your life
0: well i i I would describe myself also as a really slow developer, late bloomer kind of guy. I didn't go through puberty until I was about 16. Uh, or anything like that, and I just, I was, wasn't into any music. We didn't have, like where I grew up, we didn't even have punk culture at all. Sure. We didn't even have concerts. Uh, when I started playing, we didn't start playing music or anything until I was 16 or 17. I even start playing guitar. And at that time, I didn't know but about two people at our whole school that played guitar, and at the time, there were zero uh, bands. There was nobody in our whole high school that had a band at all. There were mm-hmm. not any. Right, And so we started playing Weezer and Green Day, covers and stuff in 96 and uh, played a halloween party and played the songs that like that and uh with that as far as i know that was the first band ever at our high school and the only one right so um so it was just a very rural culture there and so of course like punk or independent music was that wasn't even something that i heard of like uh at all right so so we didn't get into music and indie music and stuff like that until college when when we were in uh college together Toby and Devin and I, uh, we got into skateboarding and we were like age, I don't know, 20. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, before we even started skateboarding, we were 20 years old, you know, right. We didn't, we didn't... <laughs> so, right. All, all that stuff was when introduced in college. Uh, Joey, our, uh, we played in a band with then that we do bad Christian with now. He, he had an older brother and was from Charleston, which was a big city. Mm-hmm. So his brother, uh, kind of got him into indie music and he knew what it was. So when we started college, Joey, our new friend knew about all this stuff called indie music. I'd never even heard of tooth and nail or i didn't know what indie music or punk music even was Mm -hmm. and so he back in that time uh he would order cds out of a lumberjack catalog you remember that
1: oh dude i i worked at an independent record store and i did so many orders for the store through them so for sure yeah yeah
0: yeah so that's what we were doing i mean he was just he was like you got to check out this music it's indie and we're like what is that it's like emo what is that hardcore and i was like what do you mean like like uh corn? Right. I mean, like, what? What is this? I mean, it's heavy. I've heard heavy music, like uh, whatever Limp Biscuit. What are you talking about? Right. What's heavier than that? And he's like, No, you got to check out Zayo. So, but basically, all at once, we he introduced us to, I would say, Pedro the Lion, Zayo, uh, and Sunny Day Real Estate, and a bunch of Deep Elm bands, like all in the same week. So to me, that was all one category of just like weird ass music. Right. Was, I, I didn't even know that kind of thing existed, even at all. Right. Know? Right. Totally foreign.
1: Well, I'm sure it's interesting, too, because like obviously being exposed to at a later age, you, you know, you're able to kind of understand it a bit more, not only just like contextually with like, okay, like even though, like you said, it's kind of all one big genre for you at the time. It's like you were able to kind of discern the differences rather than, you know, when you're 14 or 15, it's like you're like, is this good music? So, yeah, you're able to kind of like contextualize it a little bit better, I'm sure. Well, what
0: was profound about it was just I had no clue like that the only music that I had heard was commercial radio music that so far in my life, that was the only music that I ever heard, but I didn't know that that was a narrow category. I thought that was encompassing of, all of what music was, so it didn't. It never occurred to me that they had these structures of verse, chorus, or whatever. I wasn't even aware that that existed. But in in, in no way could I have imagined music that didn't follow that. Right. Like it was not even even in my brain as something possible. So when I heard Pedro the Lion, you know, have like a really quiet dinky little song, but then it had screaming in the background, that just. I didn't even understand what that could could be. When I heard Zayo for the first time, it sounded like probably what my grandpa thinks our music sounds like just noise. I didn't even know how to comprehend it. And it was like and so all that happened for us from that time until we got really into hardcore and emo and all the stuff. It just like turned on all for all three of us. And we just said, this is this is it. Like, what kind of music? What do you mean? I don't know all this stuff so that all went into emory It was just everything the pretty the weird the odd stuff the heavy everything it was just all at once we just absorbed it all so we didn't have a background in it it was just jumped straight in for
1: us yeah and especially that's exciting too because not only are you experiencing it you know by yourself but you have the community of people around you and you're all getting into it mm-hmm. at the same time like the energy is like is palpable you feel it shooting between one another to be like oh yeah like this is exciting check this out. that's right But it was crazy because there wasn't a community
0: around. I mean, we were still just a few individuals at a, you know, small college that was all, you know, just – you know, Dave Matthews band is the only thing popular. right? right. Our, you know, like that's what everybody else was into. So country and Dave Matthews and some mainstream rap was all that there was. So we were still really isolated, but we knew a few people. and We could travel into the city and for the first time ever go to see concerts or shows. I mean, back then we just called them concerts, I guess. We didn't even have the term shows for us. <laughs> we didn't know. Right. And so we would go up to, we could drive up to Charlotte and see shows like that. I don't know if you've ever been, been there on tour or anything to Tremont. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we would go to Tremont and then and see like solid state bands that would come through. And Hope's Fall was a local band at that time before they were signed. Uh, And so that was we saw Hope's Fall for the first time and it was like, what is what in the world? So that stuff was really inspiring to us. But that was the first time we were probably 19, 20 years old, got into skateboarding and started going to shows for the first time. So there's a lot of people that put out really good music in our scene before before they're twenty years old, and we had never even encountered it till that point. So. Right,
1: you feel it's like you guys are kind of walking into the uh, you know the middle of a movie theater, and you guys like That's you right. know an hour into the movie, you guys are like, hey, what's this? It's this pretty cool. <laughs>
0: yeah exactly yeah, exactly right so we're the i mean we've always been from the get-go the oldest people around so even as a new band we were the oldest new band we were, you know the same age as all the old legacy bands and so and then today to still be a band i mean we're i don't know we're going to be playing shows and we'll be 40 pretty soon
1: right right <laughs> <laughs> which is I, i'm sure i'm sure in some respects is cool because obviously you you have a little more life experience in Yep. you don't you, you know you, you don't have to make those horrible mistakes you make when you start touring when you're 16 or whatever um, yeah you can at least have that experience to hopefully help temper the uh, the, the the you know being young and dumb stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean we're, but we're, I mean we're old and dumb. We started right. like starting, which is even worse in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're you're just continually behind the curve. That's where you're at yeah, right
0: now. That's exactly. I told you. That's what I said. I always describe my life that way, uh, from just going through puberty late and being small to getting into music late. And I just, I think my whole, I got married not until I was about thirty. I just had my first baby. I'm thirty four now, and I just do everything late, and that's okay. I just, I get, I think I do everything well that I really get into, but it takes me a long time to get up to speed. And then I feel like I have a good grip on those things. So (laughs) that's just kind of my theme of my life so
1: far. Yeah. Well, yeah, stick with it. It's been working for you so far. Maybe I'll (laughs) dilate too. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. You're like, yo, I'm 120. Yeah. I'm about ready to check out now, I guess. Um, (laughs) And so a lot of the bands that you were mentioning obviously are, you know, from the Christian context. So were you, were, was that just because like, I think so many people, especially in the context of independent music, um, you know, have, have such distinct memories of like, you know, whatever, in the late nineties where obviously, you know, Tooth and Nail and Solid State became a, you know, such a a power player within that music scene. And then, you know, whatever, when you guys were around, obviously other labels were popping up. Um, But you know, how did, so was it, was it, that was like kind of the entry points as far as like Christian music was concerned? Like, was it introduced to you guys as like, Hey, here's Zao, here's a Christian hardcore band. And like, you kind of, you know, splintered off from there. How did that,
0: um, I think the fact that some of that music was Christian was, like, really just crazy. Like, I couldn't have fathomed that because I didn't – I hate Christian music. I almost would say I still hate it today and always have. Like, my friends, like I said, uh, growing up, with, they'd be into Dave Matthews or right. just the worst, the worst stuff ever. And then they would do – when they would t- do church music and stuff like that, it was just the worst music I have ever heard. It was everything to me, and I associated them as the same, like just acoustic, flip-flops, capos. Uh, just stuff like that. And I just thought, this is so dumb. Everything is so cheesy. Uh, and so I, I outright rejected, never listened to any you know Christian music at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't even like you know acoustic anything music. So I, I was into Nirvana and stuff as the radio and alternative stuff went already. So I was just already rejecting that kind of stuff anyway. So Christian music in a general way was something I always thought was, please I will never pay attention to this because it is very stupid. And then when I heard, People say that this band Zayo or this band – people at that time would say every band was Christian that I don't know if they really were. Probably not. Sunny Day Real Estate and Hope's Fall isn't yeah, a Christian band, but they kind of were tagged with that at they that had, time.
1: Yeah, you know, no, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's such an important point because I think it's like there was definitely a moment where it was like if a band exhibited like a Christian overtone in their lyrics or their visuals, it was like, oh, yeah, they're a Christian band. And it's like, well – yeah. But Not, that, but but
0: that was so new at that time that that could even be a thing, and I think that contributed to me to thinking how crazy it was. Like, how could you do this, make music that weird, scream, be Christian? It was just like everything was so chaotic. So even the Christian belief wasn't something that made it cool or safe for me, but it just added to the the head spin of like this is doesn't make sense that it could be all these things at once. And that was what was really exciting about it. So I didn't care if any music was Christian or not. That was just one more thing. Like, you could be a vegan band. I was like, how could you be a vegan band? What does this mean? Like, people care about, wow. I mean, it was just, just you know, being Christian had this element of it's a scene or some community to it. And that's what was really attractive more than, like, the belief structure. I never really cared about that as it related to the music.
1: Right, 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 and so did were you raised within a Christian household and like have that sort of slant as you were growing up
0: um yeah, well, everybody in the South is a christian i, know, right. I think i think there was, i think that i heard of a couple people in Alabama that weren't Christian one time, you know, but right. no it's uh everybody in the south's Christian, so I grew up in a like a i was called a liberal Presbyterian mainline church I wasn't part of uh evangelical Christianity mm-hmm. and then um almost i would say i grew up as a non-christian honestly to tell you the truth because i didn't i just went and we just had it but it wasn't something that was important to me or that i believed at all sure and uh until i couldn't fight it anymore i I, like i said part of my story is that i wanted i was going to be a scientist and a doctor that that's kind of where i was headed uh in life and so i was pretty much anti like the emotional and fruity part of of religion in general mm-hmm. and I, this will sound really cheesy i know but there uh i was totally intent on figuring out and learning enough to not believe in god eventually because it sounded like horseshit that what people would ever believe in that stuff sure and uh and i just knew as soon as i could learn enough about science or the world then i'd be, be you know i wouldn't have to worry about that anymore because clearly the people that that subscribe to it are are, are not not so smart. And I thought that I was smart. And then, uh, I had what would just, you, you just would call what a Christian would call getting saved or what a non Christian would say is just a, a spiritual experience. And I was like, Oh shit, right. this is real. This is real, you know? And that's, and I can't explain it a better way than that. Other than, uh, I, I did I add a spiritual experience where I thought, Oh, so that all that God stuff is true. And it was, you know, communicated to me directly, uh, in a real way that I can't deny nor, Prove to another person so at that point And that was like separate from my upbringing My church and stuff that I rejected so At that point I did become a a Christian And a believer but I didn't have I wouldn't say I really had that much background In it so I've kind of always been
1: Right you uh, were like I I put it this way because My experience was similar in regards To like I, I always you know you had this structure. You had a context for it. It's like, okay, whether you went to private Christian schools or you know, Lutheran high school or whatever, like you, had mm-hmm. a con- you, you had a context for it rather than you know, never going to church, never having any exposure to it. Um, but you, you necessarily didn't ascribe to the beliefs because it was just a, it was a pattern you did.
0: Yeah. I just thought it was silly. Yeah. 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 Um, and oddly enough, it became real. And so that's, that's, I believe that it it's true. I mean, I I know it's true. It's confirmed to me in a supernatural way, so I won't, I wouldn't bother with the explaining it. Right. Uh, but I'm also still a big, you know, science guy too. So that's just the way I am. I like to know how stuff works and, and. Right. Right. Yeah. your stuff out. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you want empirical evidence as they say.
0: I do. I like that. <laughs> I just like knowing how stuff works and music's the same way for me. I just I'm not the the pure creative like express myself guy. I really understand music. I study it. I pay attention to it. I analyze it and I, I just love how it works. It's so creative. Um but it's still so understandable and digestible to me. I like putting it together and composing and arranging, and that's just that's, – that's really how I got into music was just kind of studying
1: it as an interest, a scientific-style interest I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're interested in the nuts and bolts of, 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 right. of creating something rather than like the, oh, I've got this feeling I need to get out of my heart. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. I don't have that at all. I don't sure. have that at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, it's well. It's good. It's good you can be honest with that because I think that the. I mean, there's obviously a need for people such as yourself combined with other people that have like you couldn't be in a band with four other dudes that have that same uh, that same mentality because it would no, probably no. it would sound very cold and sterile. Well, like,
0: well, Toby's the opposite of that, and Toby and I are very complementary. So that's what well, that's why our relationship works good, and we're able to achieve it. Like we have almost none of the same like real mentalities or skills as far as they do. So they really work out as a complimentary thing. So he likes to understand nothing and do whatever he feels like. right? And then I I support that really well in a a different way. So it works out pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so as you, you know, as as you're going through high school and college, like you mentioned, um, you know, once you started to, uh, you know, become immersed in this music and stuff like that, and then once you, I'm sure once you started to uh, start to communicate to your parents that, you know, the plan that was being set out As far as, you know, family business and, you know, scientist doctor, all that sort of stuff. Like, how did they start to react to this weird stuff that you started to get into?
0: Well, like I said, they're really supportive. So that made it interesting because they they supported the silly stuff because they thought it was silly. And then at the point where we told them, all right, I just finished college. We all finished college and we're going to move to Seattle and and start a band. Uh, And that's that. And, you know, that like they didn't oppose that, but they laughed at it. They didn't they didn't believe that was even true like they you know everybody <laughs> we, told, we, we had girlfriends and we told our families and everybody and mo- almost everybody told us no no you, you won't do that like yeah. we said me toby and devin and joey and joel we're gonna we're just gonna move to seattle at the end of the summer and like start a band and they just said no you won't that's right. stupid my dad <laughs> said uh well uh, son you're not gonna do that i said you, one of y'all will back out then the other one will back out and that won't ever happen mm-hmm so that that was the attitude they had and then it just it came that time to to get up and go and we pulled out of the driveway and that was it.
1: Was there <laughs> it sounds like there there was probably elements in your guys' head of calling everybody's bluff as well of like
0: yes I, I mean I just we were just kind of focused like like I said it was it was fast it just happened we said we're going to do it and we didn't we're we're kind of gamblers by nature and I mean we didn't have I mean, it was already in my head that I didn't want to do this business and I was on the music train and I didn't, I just didn't, we didn't look back. I guess it, and it kind of fed into each other, you know, once, if you have a bunch of people and they're all focused in one direction, there's nobody to bring it down to reality. Cause the reality was we weren't that good. We didn't have any plan. Uh, it was every possible odds were against us. I mean, we didn't have even our music yet. We had our band name and we had practice and jammed a few times and that was it. And we just said we're going to move across the country. We
1: saved $300 each and uh we left that was it <laughs> it's uh, like i i just find it so funny because it's like you you hear that sort of you know uh that mentality in regards to like yeah i'm gonna come i'm gonna come to la and be an actor or actress <laughs> and it's like like that that obviously happens on an individual level but for all of you to agree to do this or it's just like like real like that still happens i guess people do that <laughs> I don't understand it. I wouldn't recommend that anybody else did it, nor would I believe
0: anybody else if they said they were going to do it. But I think we just had this collective ignorance uh, that somehow there was no reality to it, and we just we just did it, and it also did work out. I don't know what I don't I can't really explain how how that how that happened because it it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. <laughs>
1: right? It was it because uh, like you said you had you had no uh, you didn't have songs you didn't have anything by the time no. you moved it to Seattle. And, and
0: none of us had ever been to Seattle or knew even one person there. Right. I mean, we had nothing. <laughs> It was nothing. It was just we're just gonna do it. So we, I mean, we did tell ourselves like, "Well, this is crazy. We could do it. We could move home in six months." And you know, we had all that, right? Some thoughts of that, but it just we just never did, so <laughs> right? Right. I'm, I'm in Seattle today. That's you know we and the the, the craziest part about that, and I don't have to go into this whole other story because you can just get bogged down in it but the, we we left we just said we would figured out what time we were going to leave and what day and what would be our route that we were going to take to get out there we said all right let's we'll leave on uh it was 2001 it was we said we were going to leave on september the uh 15th and uh, something happened weird and toby's like hey you know what i don't have this after all let's go ahead and leave earlier so we said all right we'll leave at 7 a.m on september 11th so we left our we left at uh about 6:30 in the morning, September 11th, 2001 and drove uh, right out of our, my parents driveway.
1: Wow. <laughs> it just like it, well, we we don't we don't know what's happening right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had no we didn't know about, you know, 9/11 at all. We we, we were uh in North Carolina when it happened. So we we were an hour from the house when 9/11 occurred on our trip to Seattle. <laughs> right, right. That's crazy. So uh, we missed the whole thing because we traveled that whole week out there, and we didn't see the TV or the news. I mean, we listened to it on the radio and knew it was going on, but it's like this whole peak. The biggest thing that ever happened to us as individuals happened within an hour of the biggest thing that's happened to our country in our lifetime. And so th- it's just really bizarre because those things totally overlapped. And our move to Seattle, for us, totally overshadowed and was more important than what was going on in, in new york we kind of missed the whole thing
1: yeah no for sure you were you were sh- sheltered but sheltered to it it was a weird deal yeah um it's so why why'd you pick seattle because like that's a really uh that's random
0: it is random but i like we uh we like nirvana we thought that was cool like alternative grunge. but <laughs>
1: to t- i like like it's just it's so amazing <laughs> because it's like it, it literally feels like like it was just you know like Spit and glue and like duct yeah, tape, and you're just like, well, whatever. Let's put this together. No, that that's exactly
0: what it was. We didn't we didn't know anything, so we said, well, we, we got to leave here because there's nothing. But we didn't. Part of not being around the scene meant we didn't have any common sense. We didn't know. Oh, you do it this way, and then you do right. this. It, it, there was no. We didn't. We weren't playing shows or anything. So. It wasn't like we, there, there didn't seem to be any apparent steps that you would take regionally. We just said, well, we got to go somewhere where people do stuff. So we thought Seattle was cool. Like I always like Nirvana and all that kind of stuff. We said, well, we could go to New York. We could go to LA. We could go to whatever and said. That New York and LA sound a bit scary. Seattle sounds cool, but turns out there was no more, you know, grunge by the time we got there in 2001. It was oddly enough, it was pop punk and ska and and stuff like that. We were like, oh, weird, because we didn't like that kind of music at all. And we got there, and the local scene was it was ska bands so we would the first shows we played was stuff like that.
1: Right, right. Sure, I, I I totally get the idea. Just the mental picture of you guys rolling up to a show and being like, hey, we're here. And then we're, yeah. here, we're here to play some shows. Where where do you guys all That's play? Right. <laughs> That's exactly what we did. It's so, it's so and it good. was these
0: skinny skinny seventeen year olds uh, playing Sky. I mean, it was weird. That was who the shows we would get. Like oh. And we were these college graduate men trying to play slow aggressive music with screaming in it because our music was kind of slow at that time. We'd have seven minute songs and nothing fast. We had no up tempo anything. So I, I'd I'd credit being influenced by seeing some of those punk bands at the time who mm-hmm. did. What we we thought fast beats like we thought that was silly and cheesy. Sure. And so once we saw people doing it live for the first time, and we we realized, oh, that is it feels good. That is fun. That's. That's neat, so we kind of uh, ad- adopted some more peppy stuff and had catchier and faster stuff than we had had before, so that was a big big deal. had it not been for that influence of getting to see pop punk music up front, then i don 't think we ever would have uh, had as near near as digestible music as we did because we were writing seven and eight minute long yeah. <laughs> ep- epic slow songs
1: simply geographically from where you 're from it- it's since you were sheltered from so many of these things that are so inherent. Of the you know being a part of a scene and you know being so clued into whatever's happening locally of like oh we can't sound like this band because there's already two other bands that sound like it from our area or whatever like mm-hmm. because because you guys had no context for it you were simply operating off of your own uh, sphere of influence like all. That's all- right. I mean that's a very uh, rare thing to come by, and like it, it's, I mean it's just it, it's just so funny to have that all kind of like laid out to where you guys once you were exposed to something else, you were just like, oh okay, that makes sense. We're not going to do that anymore because of this, because we see how it's kind of out there.
0: Yeah, it was probably to our advantage because, you know, the, having a the Southern accent and playing music, that's it was a lot different than what other people were doing and looking different. We didn't know how to dress or anything. We had no nothing, and it just – we kind of had this trailer that we – it was a big black 24-foot racing trailer, and we had, we s- would sleep in it and lived out of it. And we'd pull up and try and play local shows in our first gigs ever, and it just – nobody knew what was going on. And we would move around and do all this crazy stuff, and it just it just made no sense. But it was something about it, probably like you said when you first saw us, that it was – something was endearing about it. But it was just totally nonsensical. So it, I know we made an impression on everybody we ever saw, although it might not have been like – polished good slick impression of of good anything it's just that this is out there man when people would encounter so i think that helped people at least notice who we were and what we were doing
1: yeah well because there there's so much that's tied into that is the fact that like i mean for one you guys have a story and it's not it's not common that that immediately gives people something to talk about especially i mean you know as even as the band grow you know grew you had these you know not not just like the oh yeah we got in the garage and we started to piece stuff together and that sort of you know that story that happens you guys you guys clearly had a lot more going on that people could talk about
0: yeah and like you said it, you, our music isn't totally original or anything so it, for you living in southern california in 2004 seeing emory do what we were doing then you go yeah they're just doing this screamo post-hardcore thing or whatever but from our point of view i think we invented it i mean
1: like (laughs) i I
0: didn't know i mean other people knew about it but we didn't i mean we just we didn't know we we just i feel like we arrived at it from just a very bizarre point of view and it wasn't like we were listening to even thursday and thrice or any we weren't i didn't know those bands i mean we did not know those bands right i know that sounds weird but we didn't even know them and we just kind of arrived at where we arrived all really quickly and coming from somewhere and we didn't have that culture so if we weren't original we didn't know it we thought we were it felt original to us
1: <laughs> right don't you guys, I, I just love it because i i again you're painting such great mental pictures for me where it's like you guys felt we're just like dude we just broke the damn mold on this and then yeah. once, once you get out there and start to play with other bands you're like oh okay i see i see what's happening
0: but I guess that's how that goes. We were just a little more isolated. I mean, I think people, everything's not a direct influence of somebody else. I think a lot of people were arriving at the same conclusions for similar reasons that, oh, you can break the rules. You don't have to do this. You can even scream, You could, but you could do pretty stuff and it doesn't make you a pussy. I mean, you can do, you know, people realizing all at the same time for the same types of thoughts, all probably all across the, at least country, you know? So yeah, that's, that's neat. And so it was just really lucky for us because when we were started doing our music and we would try to write songs and do stuff in South Carolina, it, it is unbelievable how much people hated it because they, they would say, Oh, you, you, like if Toby would get a guitar and sing something a little bit, they'd be like, this is so good. I like it. And then we would play loud and they didn't like it cause it was noisy. And then they thought it was okay. But then if we would scream, it was just so utterly offensive to, any of our friends or families or anybody that could ever see it. They just were so upset that we would scream. Like these 20-year-old girls where we were in 2000, and 2000 or so, they were so offended and hated screaming so bad. And then just a few years later, five years later, all these 20-year-old girls all over the country love music with screaming
1: in it. You know, it's just weird. Where were where were all of you when we were in our right. – te- Yeah. <laughs>
0: because i mean it's just so weird because i thought i thought well girls hate heavy music and screaming and then it turns out just the silliest it became poppy and cheesy but we were doing it like i said when people hated it so it's weird because bands now not even now in 2005 bands were starting up trying to do the screaming and the heavy uh you know pseudo and you know micro breakdowns because people liked it but people hated it when we
1: did it i know yeah <laughs> but we just thought it was good right right no that's awesome it's well documented obviously you know in, in your guys trajectory as far as like where you guys went and uh, as things grew you know when For you yourself, when did you start to, when did it start to become real where it's like, this is, this is a thing. This is like people are paying attention to what we're doing, uh, either on like, you know, a a smaller level or on a large level where it's like, you know, you were, you were playing Warp Tour and being like, this is weird. I didn't believe this to happen.
0: No, it was, it was, it was pretty much all at once. So we were having a hard time. You know, we we thought our music was getting good and we made the week's end on our own before we were signed. So we knew that was good. We just, we knew it was by the time we got there, we knew we were on the right track and people would get it. So we were frustrated for a little while until we got a record deal. And then once we got our record deal on Tooth and Nail with that, uh, it, it started clicking probably when people were getting the pre-release and, and when you were hearing it and we were playing at that pizza place. It was interesting because people were paying attention all of a sudden nationally, but there was no measurable way to do it. We still hadn't done any real national tours that were anything at all. And then we got uh, our first big tour when the record came out was the tooth and nail tour in 2004. Mm -hmm. And that was supposed to be headlined by further seems forever. And they dropped off. So, and that started in Florida. So we drove from Seattle to Florida to start that tour, that was our first real tour of any kind, and so that first night we played there in Florida, which we'd never even been to or played in at all and uh we were the opening band, the first band the of the first night of that tour, and it was just immediately crazy uh and people were singing the words and it was full uh, the place was full, and we were the opening band, and people were already into us, so that was just like it, i mean it was overnight from feeling like i don 't know what'll ever happen to, oh. We're real, and we knew at that point that that was it. Because if people in Florida already knew the songs, that we hadn't done anything, we hadn't supported it, we hadn't done anything yet, and the record just came out. So we knew that was something, you know, mm-hmm. based on all the work we'd done so far.
1: Right? Was it? And so because of that because of that, you know, like you said, overnight sort of success, was it difficult to manage when things obviously flipped when, you know, you, the shows weren't as big or whatever? Like, how did that, because that, that's obviously a difficult thing when you've never, like you said, sort of quote, unquote, paid your dues, or it's like, oh, yeah, I know what it's like to play in Omaha, Nebraska in front of 10 mm-hmm. people, you know, um, yep. was it was it tough to manage for you guys?
0: The funny thing about it is you get used to whatever level of success that you have pretty much, and then you're always disappointed. Like that newness wears off anyway. So you're going to be disappointed later if it doesn't continue to, uh, grow. So I would say it's like a, a measure of acceleration, like the growth, big growth, fast always feels good. And staying steady feels always a little frustrating. And if you even have dips in days of shows or even a bad show on the best tour ever, you'll feel down about it. And that's weird, but that, that's just the way humans, measure stuff so we've had tons of big disappointments in our career since for sure and i don't, I don't know how to measure that i don't know if it makes any sense because mm-hmm. you can't complain when you have a, a bad show or even a bad tour or even a bad record you can't you can't complain about the people that are there or the people that did buy it or the people even the even if you play for 80 people in st louis which we've done before th- the 80 people that you're there with that's, that's those are the good guys you know so you, you i don't know it's, it's hard to 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 calibrate yourself based on what you really have and how important it is and stuff like that, but disappointment's part of the game
1: for anybody, I think. Because the the common way a band obviously exists is the, you know the doing crappy tours for a long time and then getting to a point where it's like it builds a little, and so it, it, I know it's just always harder on bands when it's like sort of that sunburst of excitement yeah. and energy, and then being able like obviously you guys were able to you know get through it and exist because you are here where you're at right now, but it's. uh yeah, it's tough for bands to manage, I know, that that do have that initial exposure and then like, all right, what do we do on our second record? Like-
0: yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we worked a really long time before we got there, so it wasn't overnight success because we were sure. like living in, a like I said, a racing trailer from 2001 to 2004, so those three years were super, super hard, and we did still play and tour and we're all in at that point we weren't doing it as a side gig so we had three really difficult years they were really fun too at the same time and then yeah it did all of a sudden it just tipped you know just tipped right into what some people would call success at least
1: yeah for sure so then at, you know as emory's touring life started to die down and and the idea of obviously transitioning into quote-unquote real life because you know i mean people that have never toured It's hard to explain the idea of like, well, you essentially just put your life on pause. Like, you're living in an alternate reality and you're that that's where you're at you're not a part of you know society as it were so you know as the, as the touring life started to slow down was it difficult for you to kind of transition into the fact that like oh i'm going to be in one place now for a little bit um how did that all sit with you
0: well we pl- we've we been touring still for a long time and we slowed down gradually which is kind of cool mm-hmm. and uh so the truth i'm still fighting it trying to fit i still don't live a normal life or or, or anything as it is so i don't It's it's been hard, but for us, it's always come along with new things that we wanted to do, like having family and kids and things like that. So it's not been, it's not like our band just declined to fell off and we had to stop. That's we, I've been super fortunate to just tour as much as we want, and it always still works out when we want to as much as we want to, and it's fine. So a lot of bands get in that situation where either one member wants to play every day, and then one member says I can't do it anymore because I'm married, or it, they decide to slow down a little bit together but then they fall off because if you don't maintain it's hard to maintain if you're not pushing it right all year round and so we're just that's what we've been working really hard as balancing that we've done some part-time work we've done some other stuff and uh it's always push and pull like should we pick it back up and do more and more Emory, or is are we okay at this level you know are we going to fall off so it's been push and pull but its it's been pretty active the whole time the transitions have been active that, like uh we've controlled them i would say which yeah. is nice that's the like no bands get to do that they're always forcing these tough situations but we've been able to control our push and pull of how much we want to work which is
1: extremely rare it is a rare occurrence to have that happen and especially like you said you've been very deliberate about you know how the you know the band's legacy continues because it's like you know i i would i don't think people would look at you know where where emory is today and um you know it doesn't feel for lack of a better term desperate um, right. You know, because it's like there there are bands that you see out there that exist where it's just like they're solely acting off of like, dude, guys, remember that record we put out like 15 years ago? Like, it's yeah. still good, right? Like, don't yeah. you love that? And like, yeah, the, the legacy isn't. Uh, you know, I, I presume it's a active consideration on you guys not to oh, tarnish that legacy. We're lucky
0: for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Is a bunch of people that like us. They just tell younger people, or you know, I think a lot of people that like us are just have i don't know if they have younger siblings or a ton of them turn out to be youth group group leaders and they <laughs> tell their youth group or what i don't know but right. it's a it's been with the 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 age of the fans kind of stays similar like it's still 19 to 22 year olds still like our music and we still have thir- now we have 32 year old fans as well that have been there for 10 years so it's bizarre but uh we're obviously really, really, really thankful for it. And I don't, I don't know about legacy. Like, I guess that's important. And I'm, I'm glad you note it that way because sometimes I feel like, well, should, would the noble thing be hang it up? But I don't think so because I like it. And people seem, how many people have to, how many people have to be into it to justify it? Yeah. uh, The new going forward. So I don't, I don't know. I think we just, I think if we do it at a I'm not saying I'm a band dude for life and I'll tour no matter what, and that's it. Like, we're family men, but we also get to make music. So as long as we can present that in an authentic way, I hope people will still, even if we tour once a year for two weeks and put out a record every two years, as long as we present that as what it is, I think people, I hope people can respect that and not see that as, like, shitty somehow.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you hit on a key point there, where it's like the, the, when it feels desperate, I think it's when it's, like immediately apparent that the members of whatever band are, are, are grasping at straws that they literally don't have anything else to go on. Yeah. That yeah. They, that that's when it feels Yeah, I like, think you're right about that. Yeah. That's when it feels like inauthentic and you're just like, yo, you're just doing this because you literally like there's nothing else. Like you are going to work at, you know, whatever a grocery store, you're going to do some sort of job that is meant for, you know, ostensibly a teenage person. And that's like, that's it. That's all you got. So yeah, it doesn't feel like that for you guys
0: yeah i think i think that's probably true i was listening to your episode with Pryor. i thought that was awesome the way he talks about like he he said he hates touring and then he has to qualify well i don't hate touring but i'm trying to find out other stuff to do and said he's not qualified to do anything other than music but yet music business qualifies you for so much i mean that that's exactly i mean yeah we we don't hate touring we love it i think he's probably what was he saying he got married like and had kids right at the beginning of the get up kids when they were going on huh
1: yeah totally yeah it was much i mean i think it was like yeah right around like their you know the four minute mile full length so yeah, yeah. They, they were he was in it
0: <laughs> but a lot of those things he said resonate except for that one like you could tell he had some contentious relationship with both his band and touring from the whole time oh, yeah. for us it's just been like a slow transition but all the stuff he was saying i thought was just really right on as far as well i think i have a ton of skills and in some ways, people would never respect them because they sound like, oh, you're a band dude. And then at the same time, I find that people are unbelievably impressed by what you can achieve as an individual uh, by being in a band and running your own thing. Sometimes the pe- that makes you look really, really good to the regular world, too, that you've been able to do this or maintain this or whatever. So it's, it's both ways. Totally. It's funny the sets of skills that you have af- after being on the road.
1: Oh, constantly. it's 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 something that is so, like you said, it's. It's difficult to quantify, but it's like it, hopefully if you hit a person that, you know, is giving you a job interview that has some context for it's like, you know, being creative when you say you're in a band and then you're able to be like, hey, we did all of these things and here's a laundry list of tours and whatever else. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow, like that takes effort. It isn't just like accidental that you accomplished all of this. Yeah, I
0: mean, it's weird. There's the little the little bumper credit things that you don't think about as an artist or a person that matter to the other people. Like if you get on this or that on this chart, like it's not that big of a deal because it doesn't necessarily mean you make any more money. But then when somebody else sees, oh, you're you're this or that, uh, is, uh, you're on the Billboard chart or you are on iTunes this or that chart. And you probably know that from your podcast. I saw you, your podcast is listed on the – noteworthy or you know what i mean yeah. If you get a, some rating there it, i mean it just happened because you were doing what you were doing but then when other people look at it they go hey that ray he's really onto to something he must he must really know what he's doing right you know what i mean so it's really justifying for other people totally when they see some other kind of notoriety that you have even though for you you know that's it's just that just happened you didn't it, do yeah. it you weren't pursuing that in as
1: a goal it's yeah it's an added bonus that's that's basically yeah. all it is um, and th- I think that transitions nicely to the idea of the um, because honestly, I p- prior to getting you know introduced to you via you know the publicist that's obviously helping you guys out, uh, I just wasn't aware of Bad Christian at all as a website. Um, mm-hmm. and then it it immediately uh, just pulled me in, not only in the podcast that you guys are doing, but just obviously the way that you are, you know, presenting yourselves, and obviously that's what I know, I mean, from in hearing you guys speak, is what a lot of people are gravitating towards because you know the not only the honesty, but just obviously the transparency that you guys are you know putting out there i think is is immediately identifiable and like something that i like I know you've mentioned before within you know whatever pop culture in general, people are gravitating towards honest things, like you look at um you know mm-hmm. one of the most popular stand up comedians around like louis c k and it's like people love him because of the fact that it has taken him thirty years to become the person that he is, you know yeah. And, you know, I think in many respects, does it feel like obviously what you guys are doing with this is kind of like, oh, I feel like we've grown into our own and now we're able to express ourselves in that manner?
0: Yes, it's it's hard to express yourself, uh, especially verbally. Like it is scary, you know, especially talking on stage. But some of those things are are really doing interviews and meeting people every night. You get you can get tongue tied really easy and say stupid stuff. But we have a lot of practice at, at that, as well as experience with just broad experiences in life that made us to who we are now. So we can kind of just do what we do and it's, it, it can be entertaining and enjoyable. Like a 55 year old man in the South, he can sit and tell stories and entertain you all day long. It's because of all the time he worked in, on the farm or was, you know, went overseas and ha- was at war or having kids, you know, you just, those experiences translate into a broad set of experiences and then you can communicate. And if you're comfortable with yourself, then that's all, that's all it really takes to be – make other people comfortable, and that's what a good podcaster does or Louis C.K. in his comedy. He just – he could say anything, but it's because he's comfortable and inviting in himself that it's not like he's just saying something obnoxious. That's right, not
1: the point. or yeah, he's like saying something to provoke a reaction where it's like – because that's mm-hmm. – anybody at any age can do that. Like you know how to press a button, right. but it's like if you're able to press the button and hopefully quantify it with some either life experience or some context for why you're trying to press that button – that is what actually shows signs of maturity as opposed to just like well fuck you and yeah. that's and, it <laughs> yeah and and what good news that
0: is that people are have are so dialed into that pulse i just love i just love that so much because you know i'd say in 2001 and back then indie labels had this vibe about them that were just this is real this is it you know and and then it, there was back then there was still a lot of barriers to the market and stuff. So you you had advertising and it was even, you know, things like Lumberjack and then the internet and then Mm mp3.com. And then, then there was times there where people wanted to find out the new tooth and nail band or deep Elm band and banner ads at that time were still even kind of cool. Like you just see a banner or go to a news site. And it's so funny that, that in the last 10 years, it's turned into dude, do not market to me period. Yeah. Like now we're almost like a post marketing thing now and so you really can't do anything other than be real and how cool is that 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 just being real and not overly trying and
1: overly marketing
0: now works that's that's great news for yeah. somebody like
1: me yeah and the creative yeah P- people that are being creative like can feel free to that's ex- right express themselves in authentic manner as opposed to you know putting up a, a character of oneself and yeah it's definitely right. and that's obviously exemplified in you know what you guys are doing with bad christian and that's why i think you know people people of all walks of life whether they are religious themselves or whether they you know could care less about religion there's there's value that can be kind of pulled out in the messaging that you guys are putting across
0: yeah i hope so i mean we we are it's just we've always lived in some kind of tension are you a christian band Are you not or what is this going on so we were always just trying to do a band just because we like music and entertainment. Now, the other stuff's true, and it's part of who we are. And Bad Christian is kind of similar, even though it's even more focused on, on Jesus and Christianity. It's still, we're just going to keep a focus on entertainment. And we're still going to keep that focus and just because we want to approach it from a different angle. I mean, there's a million churches and preachers and communicators and teachers, and they're awesome that's what their all their experiences in and their lives are probably a lot better than ours and they know a lot more than we do and we support them let them do their thing write the book teach the thing right. preach the sermon and right. we're going to do we're going to do something else that we think is useful and productive and helpful so
1: it's a, something that i i know that you guys like in mentioning the you know like are you guys a christian band like that sort of stuff something that i know is uh, it, it's just so perplexing about the you know the christian music industry as it were like i'll uh, I'll, I'll cite a random example so it's like the, the band that i played in we played a show at chain reaction with uh i'm fairly certain was a label mate uh at one point there's a band called born blind like a hardcore band from san uh-huh. diego anyways so they were they were headlining the show my band was not a christian band at all um i i, I myself M but no one else in the band was so that you know that wasn't an agenda having more than one person come up to me because i was the guy that also sold the merch in in my band so it's like i would mm-hmm. sing and then i would run back and sell merch having a person come up to me be like hey so uh can i can i read the lyrics and it was like i had never been asked that question before and it was like mm-hmm. uh yeah and then like you know uh, and then asking without straight up asking, are you Christian? Like, you know, are you saved? Like having these like veiled questions of like, I just was so put back by it or it was like, oh, so you wouldn't find legitimacy in what I'm doing if, you know, if, I mean, I understand it's like, if we were obviously painting pentagrams on stage and stuff like that, I would get why a person would be a little leery about that. But I just found so many of these instances of like, the The Christian music scene obviously cornered themselves off to not be exposed to any culture besides what was you know ordained by their you know their their group of friends or whatever is considered approved and i 'm sure you have a million and one stories based around that fact
0: oh yeah it 's just people i don 't know I guess people want to label stuff and have it in in categories so they can it just feels to me like people want to own something or be in control of it and approve it and then not have to think about it like once you could put something in a category then you could move past it or something and not have to be responsible for who you are and what you think about it and and you know taking it carefully so it's just i don't i don't know why people get so bent out of shape about about stuff like that and Christians are bad, but so are, like I said, so are vegans and other people. They just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Everybody just wants to be on teams, real bad, and I don't care about teams. I don't think that's the way it, it, it works. But people really, really want to be sided up and on te- politically. So everything's the same way. I don't know why people want to act that way. I really don't get it.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 frustrating when it's like you know you're you're walling yourself off from an experience and a potential person that could right. Just be awesome for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, just so that you could say we're on the same team or we're not.
1: <laughs> right, either, I don't get it. Right, you're either with us or you're against us. And like, yeah. of course, there's there's an element of that. That's like there's validity in some elements of that, but that doesn't need to be your blanket statement. <laughs>
0: That's not the good part about community and identity. There's good parts about it. There's great things about having people that you're like. But the good part about it isn't the exclusion of others. That's not the awesome thing about right. groups and community. I don't think.
1: Right, right. And I, I also just because like the, um, you know, in focusing obviously on you know Christian music as a marketing tool. Especially, you know, around that time when, you know, Tooth and Nail and Solid State, not saying that they were um, perpetrators of this, but there were so many things that popped up around the the context of, you know, bands calling themselves, you know, they immediately had a built-in fan base if they said they were a Christian band. And like, I I mean, I'll, I'll never forget like the concept of as a kid going into a Christian bookstore and like buying a CD for like $25 and being like, wait, but I can go to Tower and I can get this for like sixteen bucks. Like, why are they charging an additional ten dollars? Like, if there's so many, so many, yeah. so many layers of it that was just like, even my seventeen-year-old brain was being like, "Hey, this doesn't seem right. Like, what is this?
0: No, it's not. It's not right. But I don't know who you blame on on it because I, I, it's just kind of the nature of power and structure and stuff. Like, that. there, I guess maybe you say it this way: there aren't Christian, you know business like if, if there's christian entertainment and that's a industry and a business and that's all that's all it is so pe- there's individuals can be christians but the record store itself is is it's just a industry and the worst part about it is a lot of times the christian uh industries are more greedy and cutthroat than others and that's just a fact i, I mean i don't uh, somebody can disagree with me if they want to but I, I don't think you know my experience especially in christian music is the more christian a, a Label or management company or booking agency is the less ethical and more greedy they are. That's a fact to me. (laughs) I'm sorry, maybe that shouldn't be true, but I find it to be true.
1: No, it's well, yeah. What's the saying? You know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. and that just flows through to people. I mean, co- companies and profits and margins have their own thing, but it's, it's just it's easier to exploit Christians. And then the p- people are the same. So the owner or the general manager of something, they're the same. They're the same in Christian and non-Christian businesses. Only the Christian clientele is easier to exploit.
1: Yeah. So but-
0: so there, there you go. That's all you need to know. People yeah. are the same.
1: No, for sure. Uh, there's t- two more things I want to hit on before I let you go. Was the um, you know y- you work at Mars Hill up in Seattle, correct?
0: I don't. I'm not on staff. I just uh, volunteer there. Oh, you just volunteer. Toby, t- Toby, at one time was on staff when he before he moved back to Charleston. He was on staff in uh, at uh, Mars Hill Church, and I just I've been here a long time and been going there, and I, I volunteer and uh, lead music and do other volunteer counseling stuff like that there.
1: Got it, got it, got it. Because, I mean, that that, that church in and of itself is very um, – obviously it's revolutionary in the way that they treat a lot of their things from like starting a record label and all this other stuff. Um, has, has it been interesting for you to attend that church and watch it grow over the past, you know, whatever, five to six years and see kind of where it's at now? Oh, yeah. I mean it's just
0: – I guess it's like a lot of things too where it just grows and it changes and, you know, things change. And then like when Mars Hill started, it was super punk rock and all about music and stuff like that. And now it does – it's it's just different. It's it's larger, and so it has to change too. So it, it is very interesting. And I don't know. I don't like making a big deal about church and different churches or specific churches overall. Like it's a church that I love and support and have been going to a long time. Sure. And I do want I do want to resist the t- same same as we were talking about with uh, just people wanting to be in Christian bands. Christians even want to make their church good churches and bad churches and then against each other, which is nuts. Right. So, I don't want to do that about my church or anybody else's church, but I do love I think my church is great and uh, it's been a really big part of of my life for sure and it's also been fun because it's changed so much and it's grown so much and they've done and implemented so many different things that were kind of revolutionary. So I've always been attracted to that. I think of it like at least when it started it was very alternative to mainstream and now it's a lot more like a mainstream kind of church right. probably but uh i liked i have enjoyed being a part of it because it also started small and then did all kind of revolutionary ideas and did whatever they felt like and broke a bunch of rules and then that you know that's always attractive to me
1: and the, the last thing i wanted to hit on was just because we you know everybody has the ability to share so much of their self and sh- share so much of their lives obviously online and with other you know strangers essentially um you know and because of the you know, all the different avenues in which you are putting yourself out there from, you know, the website to the podcast to the book to, uh, you know, the band, do you, do you constantly have to kind of, you know, check yourself to be like, okay, there has to be elements of my life that are obviously like private or is that something that all kind of just like blends into one another just because you have so many different avenues in which to express yourself? Well, I my
0: my goal is to not have much of a private life. I wish I could talk about more stuff and I wish everybody could be more open and less private. I never have been a big fan of privacy. I know that sounds silly, but I just don't, <laughs> I'm not a big fan. I don't care about privacy really. I have to respect other people. Like I I want to I would love to talk more about I want everybody to talk more about their family. Like I like it when other people talk about the struggle with their parental relationship and mm-hmm. so that that's a great topic to talk about you have to you know be careful not to hurt your mom's feelings too bad or your wife's or whatever but I like it when people do that so I to me it's not that big of a deal but I want to respect other people but I wish everybody would just loosen up that's what I think so if we if I overshare about my life or go into that a little bit or do stuff overly then I'm kind of willing to take the hit on it. To some degree, because I hope that that would inspire other people to do that on, a, on the small. Everybody doesn't need to have a podcast and talk about their uh, sexual struggles. Right. Everybody, everybody doesn't have to do that, but you know what? I'll do it, and then maybe somebody else will with their 15 friends, and that'll be good for them. You know, so everybody doesn't have to pr- broadcast to ten thousand people, but it, you know, I think everybody should open up more than they do currently with ten and twenty and one hundred people. So yeah. if we
1: can inspire that by being a little bit foolish, that's okay with me. Do you uh, do you worry about just because obviously with the transparency and openness, there's uh, uh, not only just like your own selfish personal fallout, but obviously it's like stories you share that you know involve other people, the you know potential repercussions on like your wife being bummed or your mom or dad being bummed, like, you know, do, is that is that something you've had to struggle with or is that uh, something?
0: It hasn't been bad yet and it could, it could. I mean, that could <laughs> happen. But. Yeah, you're like, there's a potential for that. <laughs> there's definitely the potential for that but I think my, fa- my family's, pre- my mom gets her feelings hurt pretty easily but I don't have any really huge secrets about her or anything so i I anticipate she'll get her feelings hurt from time to time and uh my dad doesn't care probably too much or pay attention my wife's really cool she also doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to what i do so that'd be that's nice that way she won't notice it she doesn't listen to the podcast or anything so
1: (laughs) that's perfect i like that you're just like hey you know as long as no one else pays attention to it like i'm good i'm good (laughs) yes
0: i mean i'm not i don't know i mean i don't think it's gonna impact us too much we had uh our old drummer seth called into the podcast because he texted me and had a story that was like really kind of really funny. I guess it had to do with doo-doo and diarrhea basically. Sure. <laughs> so he called in. Oh, he texted me while we were podcasting. I was like, hey, call just call me and tell me the story right now. And I put him on speakerphone and let him <laughs> tell this, you know, story about essentially <laughs> pooping his pants uh-huh. on the podcast. And then he ultimately wouldn't let me uh, air it because it said his name. He talked about it. He's a professional. uh counselor and he didn't it just thought it was if his clients or his boss or something heard it it just would it would just be too it, it damaging might, it But might. it was really funny it was made for a really funny story on the podcast but so we you know we had to cut that so i'm I'm bummed about that right. but i want to do more stuff like that
1: <laughs> sure sure yeah it's like you there i think there's an element of pushback in regards to uh bad taste and profession yep. if you impact a person like this may get you fired i may not want to put that out there
0: but the whole idea for our podcast is if you are hanging out with your dude friends on a camping trip that you do once a year, you say a ton of distasteful things and it would be fine. And that w- it was, that's just the environment that that would be. And so the podcast is interesting because anybody can choose to listen to it or not. So we want to create a space that feels like the way we would talk, I would say, I'd say that it would be about like we'd talk on the tour bus. It's a bit more, well, it's, it's still considerably more protected than we would talk on the tour bus, but it's closer to that. And that's what the environment we want to create. So we just, it's just like if other people could kind of listen in and join us at that. So if I wouldn't talk that way, if I was at a funeral Right. So this is just the way I talk to my friend, Toby and Joey and our friends when they call in and people we hang out with. And you have to understand that's what we're doing when you listen. So if that's uncomfortable or too rough of an environment for you, then don't don't listen, but don't act like that's not everybody has that level of uh, people they are comfortable talking that way around. Just because you have a microphone doesn't mean now you have to become formal
1: yeah all of a sudden, oh for know. sure yeah there's definitely that element of like oh this is serious now let's lock let's lock into this
0: yeah and that's what makes for really boring you know podcasts and broadcasts is when it's just super safe that, that's not fun nobody's gonna listen to that or i don't i wouldn't want to
1: right right yeah especially the the regurgitation of information that is pretty easily accessible on wikipedia like don't yeah, do don't do too. that <laughs> And Christianity's
0: the worst at that. So like I said, even if we push farther and go over the line
1: of taste, that's okay. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. why can't it be you guys? <laughs> well, I really appreciate you hanging out and, uh, and doing this chat. There we go. There was Matt. I think it's the southern accent. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But talking to people with Southern accents is always so... It's its fun. It just kind of puts you in that relaxed mood. Like, hey, man, we're just, we're just hanging out. And, like, you can even hear in the interview, I try to mimic a Southern accent and fail miserably on more than one occasion. So, you know, I guess it's just not cut out for me. So I, I should never live in the South or try to adopt a Southern accent. And uh, I shouldn't try to audition for Saturday Night Live as a Southern accent. So there's a lot of things I can't do. Anyways visit propertyofzack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. The producer. That's right, I said producer. He got a, he got a raise. He also got a, uh, a promotion. Tom Richfield. Great dude. He's the producer. Got it? Okay. And uh, let's talk about some future guests, all right? Yeah. So I have Brittany from Pity Sex. She's going to be on an upcoming episode. And uh, Rob Moran from Unbroken will also be on a future episode. Just some fun, fun people that I have coming up. And even more fun people that i have even deeper into the future i got like almost two months worth of shows booked out and planned and guests scheduled and all that other fun stuff until next week be safe everybody